When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcast. Now part of the Evergreen Podcast Network. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Reska, and welcome back to our podcast. What do we got today, Tommy? Well, today we're going to look at a series of campaigns that were actually organized by the popes of the past, right, and all the Christian Western powers in an effort to take Jerusalem. So we're going to be learning out what history winds up calling the Crusades. And we'll talk about, we're not talking about all the Crusades. Um, there were several of them. Actually, there were eight major Crusades between 1095 and 1270, but a lot of unofficial ones too. And they weren't even called the Crusades at the time. That's something that kind of comes later on. I'm sure you saw that in your research, right, Pete? So we'll be talking about that, talking about some of these little uh, fun facts about the Crusades, if you want to call it that way, why there were Crusades, why they were called Crusaders, how it gave the rise of the Knights Templar, and just the effect it had on Western, Eastern culture, art, everything. Based on what I was reading, they said that by the 1200s, the Crusades became almost as common as like medieval fairs and tournaments. There was just so well, many just, of them. Yeah, it's just what you did because it was like the in thing to do. When one of the main reasons, I guess we can get into a little bit now, talk about it more, was um, the idea of indulgences, right? So if, yeah. if you remember that, an indulgence was basically kind of like a get out of hell free card or to limit your time in hell or purgatory. And the Pope could give these indul- indulgences to people. Um, so a lot of times that's really why they did the Crusades. They were for indulgences or it was for monetary reasons, obviously. Also to like uphold like like some honor or so like um glory in battle kind of thing. Yeah, glory in battle, but also to, to uphold like obligations to other lords and stuff. So like, all right, do you want to we want to run a crusade? All right, I guess we'll do a crusade to uh but they weren't called crusades, more of these military excursions into Muslim territory really to take over Jerusalem. Some were successful, most were not. Okay, there was just so many reasons why they did it, but yeah, it became just like right, what crusades are gonna happen now. Almost. Yeah. These are unofficial ones. The ones that we have talked, some of the early ones we'll talk about were all organized by the Pope. Yep. Which is crazy. If you think about the Pope is saying, go to war. Go to war. Basically speaking, a lot of people don't realize this, and I actually did not as well. It's been a while since I looked at this topic. But when we think of crusades, we're not talking like, oh, they go, they come back, they go, they come back. Well, this is 200 years worth of time that we are discussing today. So that's yeah. a long time if you think about it, 200 years. I think the third one is probably the most known. Like if this was a movie, the third one would be like the Terminator 2 of them, like the more known yeah. because of the fact of who was part of it. However, the fourth one is when it gets a little nasty. And I think that kind of caps it off and ends it. And after that, we'll mention some of the other ones, but they're not really that important. So um, <laughs> we're just we're just throwing them out now. Yeah, like- uh, well, yeah, they're not, you know. So the Crusades, basically a series of religious wars between Christians and Muslims. You have like pagans and Jews and different types of Christian Orthodox, Russian Orthodox, right? Even um, the Muslims. Muslims. I mean, you have the, the Arabs, yeah. you have the Turks. Oh, yeah, like so, you see so many different versions. And they're just yeah. fighting over, because Jerusalem is holy in a bunch of different religions. So they, they're all fighting over who's going to have control of it. And they're, they're persecuting against each other. And it wasn't just Crusades just to take the Holy Land. A lot of the Crusades were also to wipe out any heretics or anyone who was against 
the Catholic, the Christian faith at that time, right? Yep. So, so there's so many moving parts. 1096, all right, this is kind of where the beginning of this roughly, 1095, really, between 50,000 and 60,000 knights became crusaders. And crusader, it's a loose term. Again, as you said, it wasn't used at the time, but it was anyone that fought on behalf of a religious cause. Because that's in, in this case, that kind of is what started it. So you have two varying factions of Christians. You have the Orthodox Christians, which are out to the east. They're more by Constantinople. And then you have the Western Christians, which are more of the European Christians, like France, you know, eventually Great Britain, so on and so forth. So one is Orthodox, the Eastern one. One is not the Western one. And they don't necessarily get along. Byzantine Empire does not believe that the Pope is the supreme head of the church. So that was always the one thing that's like, well, we're not going to believe in the Pope. So the Pope, when he gets this opportunity in 1095 to actually somehow bring the two together, he jumps right on it. So yeah, he's, he wants to do ahead. this. Is this is Pope Urban II, right? This is yep. that, that's what he's wanting to do, and he's kind of sees this because there is the Byzantine, like you said, the Byzantine Empire are, are fighting um, the Muslim what Seljuks, I believe. Yep. Yep, and yep. they're they're eating away at this empire in Asia Minor, and the Sujus took over Jerusalem from fellow Muslims, not the Christians. Okay, the Christians lost this, lost Jerusalem centuries earlier. But like you said, the Pope sees this as a way to mobilize all these Western Christians together, and it really like strengthened his hold. All right, he wants to become the undisputed leader of the Christian Church, also including the Orthodox East, like you're talking about. So he says, taking back, believe he believes that you know taking back the Holy City of Jerusalem will kind of like be a real coup for him, really help him out. So he actually passes issues a papal uh, legret and basically sets in motion this preaching campaign across Europe, which appealed to nobles and knights. And he says, you know, sharpen your sword, suit up, and let's go take the Holy Land. And I think that's what eventually why they're called crusaders, right? That's what crusaders almost means. Crusade, crusidae, whatever it was. And the idea was that it means those who fight bearing the cross. That's yep. what it actually means. Think of what they wore. Think of their shields, right? Well, they wore. They had that red. I mean, you look up a crusader, you're going to see it. It's basically that red cross on their chest, on their shields, and they're wearing this in. They're yeah, not leaving anything to chance about who they are, it. why yeah. they're there. They're not hiding it. It's like, yeah, they're going, they're going in. Yeah. As you mentioned, right? Jerusalem has been lost many times, and Jerusalem is has a huge significance to the Roman Christians as well as the Orthodox Christians, because Jerusalem is the city in which Jesus had lived and in which Jesus had died. And therefore, there is so much at stake here that this city does not belong to Christians and it belongs to Muslims. It's, it's, it's almost like blasphemy, really, if you think about it. Although the city was controlled by the Muslims, the Christians were allowed to make pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And yeah, they weren't this, holding the city off. Yeah, they weren't blocking exactly. off. They weren't saying no. There was nothing like that. Yeah, exactly. But now all of a sudden, these new Turks, right? These Siljuk Turks that get in there, these Muslims are kind of being a little bit more pushy in letting people into the city, which is why Byzantine Christians actually asks the Roman Catholic Pope, like, hey, you know what? Do you want to like maybe help us out with this? And he's like, yeah, I'll help you out with this. And that starts this in the name of God, God wills it. We're going to go. And this isn't really organized by any means. Years it took them to get there. So the Pope has his goals, right? He wants to reunite Byzantine and the Roman Christians together. He wants to really show the power of, of Christianity in Western Europe by bringing all these factions together. The knights themselves have certain goals, right? Uh, there's a few things here. One deals with the fact that a lot of these knights did this to gain certain honor, glory in battle. Yeah, there um, was that, absolutely. 
forgiveness of their sins, but also rich plunder, like awaited any army. Yeah, a lot, of them, yeah a lot of them did that. A lot of them did it to avoid debt, I saw, or avoid going to jail themselves. They were like, basically said, you can go on, you can go to jail, hard labor, or you can go on the crusade. And a lot of them also did it just to a decent living wage because you did get paid and they got regular meals to like a fine. Yeah, let's do that. I'll just, I'll just do that. It, it was, it was worth it. So a lot of it is that glory of like, oh, I'll go into heaven for doing this. But it's all offered too. It's just like, I need to better my life somehow. These campaigns, like we talked about, where there's so many of them, just because they were so popular. So it was pretty easy to raise, to get people to go and do this. You would be, you would get them for all different reasons. So let's get into the first crusade, which is probably, if you think about it, out of all these, is the, the successful one. After yeah. that, it's all downhill from here. Yeah. For yes, the crusaders. Right? Uh, so it's 1096 to 1099 uh, is what is often considered the first crusade. You have four armies of these crusaders are formed. Uh, the troops come from various European regions. All over the place. But there's also a people's crusade that actually breaks off from this and goes ahead of them. Do you see this? Right. Yeah, they were kind of, uh, they, they went ahead of them. Yeah, they didn't do very well, right? They were, they were like yeah, a they were bunch like peasants, of um, peasants. They were, not, they were non-professional, right? They, they, yeah. And they pretty much, most of them died from um, famine, disease, and plagues. Yeah. And they just, it just didn't work out really well from themselves. But the second bunch of crusaders, which is still part of the first crusade, were much more heavily armed. And they really took the Muslims by surprise, which is really why they were so successful. So what I also read about this uh, as to why they were so successful, the first group that went were led by a guy who was a preacher named Peter de Hermit. And it was mostly commoners. And they kind of got ahead. Uh, they're like excited that they're going to go. And they made it their first. And they didn't really do all that great. And then eventually have the four main armies do arrive at Constantinople. What kind of helps them get Jerusalem, based on what I saw, is the fact that Jerusalem in itself was just captured by Muslims from Egypt, from North Africa. So Yes, it you, wasn't really super fortified or anything at this exactly. point so like we mentioned this earlier, there's all these different factions fighting for it. So now you had Muslims that were in control of it that the Orthodox Christians wanted to regain. But while that's happening, that group of Muslims that had, was controlling it just lost control of it to North African Muslims. So now you have more factions. So the, Jerusalem is actually in a perfect place for these four main armies of crusaders from Europe to come in and swoop in and get Jerusalem because it was kind of weakened already by the infighting between these two different groups, the Arabs and the Turks. Four main armies, they marched towards Jerusalem and they encamped um, outside of Jerusalem in June of 99 and eventually kind of laying siege to the city. Yeah, they had, they had siege technology. It was something that the Europeans were more used to, without a doubt. But that's what ultimately gets them Jerusalem. Yeah, they just siege it out. Yeah, they just lay waste, siege warfare, block them in, right? The people inside can't get out. They can't get food. They can't get necessities. And then eventually the, the city is going to surrender. I noticed too, like based on what I read, is that like about 50,000 people's knights set out with these armies. But because of how long it took together, it took two years, right? So they suffered from heat, thirst, hunger, fever just to like get enough strength to get to Jerusalem. And they capture several cities along the route. But by the time they get here to Jerusalem, there's only about 12,000 knights left over. So they couldn't even attack it if they wanted to. That's why they're like, we're just going to lay siege and yeah, chill and here. That's why none of the other ones are really successful. Because by that point, they kind of know. Because it's also kind of hard to sneak up on somebody if you're marching for two years. Yeah, with like 60,000 <laughs> Like It's kind of like, oh, I guess they're going to come at some point. The Christians or the first crusaders, they are successful, the first one, and the territory is in the Christian hands now, right? They Don't they create four crusader states, right? Yeah, they wind up, uh, they win like a narrow strip of land, right? It stretches about 400 yeah. miles from um, Odessa uh, in the north of yeah, Jerusalem. So, yeah, so it's the, it's the, the kingdom south. of Jerusalem. They call yeah. another one the, uh, the 
the county of Edessa, the county of Tripoli, and the uh, principality of uh, Antioch. And yep. They were known as the um, Latin East. And it, basically, they made a lot of money with this too, which is why a lot of these crusaders were doing this because it was like a trading hub to the West and East. They all went through these states. So there was all these contracts, went out the ships and crusaders. And that's where the Knights Templar really come in. Like they, yep. They're kind of like, they put in a lot of banking systems that are pretty much still used in Western um, today. They were basically professional knights that lived as monks, you know, and they, their job was really defending the key castles and passes of the pilgrims that come to it. That was really why they wanted this too, religiously, is to allow pilgrims that passage into Jerusalem that they originally wanted. And again, the Knights Templar is something we can probably do a podcast on at some point too, because there's so much with them. You also bring up an awesome point here as well, and the fact that th- at the end of the day, I feel like money always comes up when it comes, yeah, this is about God and this is about all this stuff, but ultimately for centuries, right? These were Muslim trade routes, major trade routes and trade yeah, centers. Part, yeah, they're roads, yeah. So now they held these trade centers uh, and ultimately, you know, for the next, beautifully, because it was in and out of their hands, but for the next like 20, 30 years, all that wealth was flowing to European merchant hands, right? I mean, this is what this was about. The one thing I did see in there, I'm not sure if you came across this during the First Crusade, that came up as somewhat of a controversial issue was the amount of violence towards people once that when they were taking Jerusalem. And it wasn't just towards men and women, but it was specifically Jews of the city yeah. were rounded up and like burned out. to death. Yeah. Yeah, they were um, considered heretics. Yep. And the Pope was actually unhappy about this. Yeah, they're um, just making enemies at that point. Yeah, exactly. And that's kind of where, where it came back to the Pope. And he's like, uh, you're making things worse instead of better. These crusader states, extremely vulnerable to Muslim counterattack. No question about it. Right. Yeah. But you think about it, they're just in the middle of, if you want to call it this at this point, which I guess it is like enemy territory. You're just kind know. of like, you're just sitting there. And they said the force was not that large, about 12,000 at this point. A lot of people just leave too. Once the, once the crusader, like, all right, we did it. But they always could get people to join it initially. Eventually, it was. It was. They didn't have the manpower to keep it. It's. A, it's one thing to capture a city. It's a whole different thing to keep the city. Absolutely. Right? Also, got me too. I mean, the one thing that let them keep them as long as they did is that there was supposedly a lot of formidable castles uh, in the region that were kind of very difficult. Like these were castle cities, and it was def- difficult to get them, which is what allowed these people for, for the longest time. Well, not longest, but for at least 40 years, hold on to them. Odessa falls in 1144. Uh, it is reconquered by the Turks. And uh, kind of with the fall of that in 1144, that's when you have the Second Crusade comes in. It's like, wait, wait, we can't yeah. be losing these major cities. These are major trade hubs. So Jerusalem yeah. has not fallen yet. It's So far, it's just... Uh, the it's some of these one. other crusader states, yeah. And when it happens, yeah. what happens, a lot of the Christians out of there are killed or enslaved. And that, that's why a lot of the, the kings back in Europe are like, all right, we need to have another crusade. We have to get our armies back and take back Odessa because they don't want to lose Jerusalem. And then the second crusade starts in what, like 1147? Mm-hmm. And it's um, led by the German king, Conrad III, and then Louis VII of France. All I got is that they went and they tried to recapture the city and they lost. So... That's kind of all I got out of the second. Yeah, they, they, they attacked a couple times. Well, basically, again, the, the Muslim uh, Sajuk that took the city was even more like tenacious, and um, he actually is able to like bring a lot of the Muslim world together in a holy war against the Christians. Yep. The Crusaders eventually siege, uh, put a siege on Damascus in June of 1148. That just totally failed. And again, they basically just try to take over the city, and just it's unsuccessful. Every attack gets repelled. Attack gets repelled, and eventually, you don't have any more real fighting force strong enough to even take it. So you said, yeah, the country of Edessa ceases to exist by 1150. 
I feel like the second one is kind of like a almost like an afterthought as much because the third one really does. It wasn't it wasn't, it wasn't as organized. It was just kind of oh we have to go take it back and they just figured they would take it back. But again, like at this point, parts of the, so there, a lot of the Muslim leaders were aligned together. They're like we want to keep it. We're not giving it back. You know, so it was just it was more organized. They were aware of what the what the crusaders were going to do. Awesome. Yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film If Only in Theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Which kind of brings us to the third crusade. This is probably the one that's the most known, mainly because of the people that are involved here. But this one's also against a new power of Saladin, right? So Salad, Saladin, 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 yeah, Saladin, Saladin, right? Saladin, Saladin, I'm sorry, Saladin, yep. So this one's about, um, against Saladin, who becomes extremely known, known as this Muslim conqueror. And I started really kind of looking into this and reading about him. He had a certain rapport with King Richard, which I think we'll get into in a little bit, which is interesting. Yeah, there's a lot of these, like you said, there's a lot of big names in this one. That's why this one's awesome called the King's Crusade, right? Yep, the third, known as the King's Crusade. So the reason why we have this is because Saladin winds up in 1187, uh, starting this major campaign against the Crusader Kingdom, but he doesn't go for the other states. He goes straight for Jerusalem. And when he goes to Jerusalem, his troops virtually destroy all the, Christ the entire Christian army at the Battle of Hattin, and they wind up taking back Jerusalem. And that is like a slap in the face because that was the initial city that started the first crusade. Almost, well, at this point, it's 1180s, right? So we're talking like almost 100 years before, right? Yeah, because of uh, 1096. So it's been almost 100 years since they had yeah. it. So now it's gone. For it, yeah. He takes control of it. And now you have a new Third Crusade. It's, you know, as you mentioned, is the King's Crusade. And the reason for that is because you have three of Europe's most powerful monarchs basically say, we're going to go and fight for the cross. Like we're going to do this for Christianity. And you have French King Philip Augustus. You have the German Emperor Frederick Barbarossa. And you have the English king, Richard I, also known as Lionheart. That's the one of like Robin Hood lore. Yep, exactly. Doing that yeah. Be Philip II, big in France, right? Yeah. Um, Barbarossa in Germany, the same thing. Like These are like icons. Yeah. Although it's interesting because out of those three, really only Richard winds up winning any fame during this third crusade. Well, well, uh, Barbarossa dies. He, he drowns, right? Yeah, he falls off a horse. He falls off a horse and, and, drowns and drowns in the river. Yeah, he's river, yeah. 67 years old, kind of not like the biggest end to the guy. And then Philip Augustus actually doesn't really stick around for too long because he winds up catching a fever and he's like, yeah, I'm not going to die here on this crusade. So Philip Augustus goes back as well, which really kind of just leaves King Richard ultimately for the as the major king fighting in the third crusade. Yeah, he um, does a few things on the way to the crusade. The crusade itself, he doesn't really do much in Jerusalem. He does. He never reclaims Jerusalem. He's unable to do it from Saladin. On his way to Jerusalem, he captures Cyprus, right, in mm -hmm. route. And he, as he's doing that, he scores some a few other these victories. But by the time he got to Jerusalem, he knew he couldn't get the victory. And the reason why we know a lot of this stuff is there, there's writings about it. Mm -hmm. Like this is actually – there are historical writings from knights, from other people, from other historians talking about these crusades. So that's one reason why we do have a lot of this information. These are, you know, I guess primary source. You want to call it that, Pete? Yeah, I would call that. Yeah, yeah. Some of these primary sources, right, for those people out there, the history teachers out there. <laughs> but the idea is that they didn't think he could really take the city back. And he's like, even if they were able to take the city, Saladin's army would just take it back right after that. So it's like, what's the real point? 
So he kind of got a consolation prize, and he but basically was was if there's a treaty with yep. Saladin that allowed pilgrims to travel to the Holy Land, they wouldn't be killed, basically, right? Yep. All right, well, you can if you want to go to the Holy Land, it's your Holy Land too. That's fine. You can travel to and from. And he was they and they did get a strip of land. It gave the Christians a foothold in that area. And it was really that's what inspired a lot of like future crusades to try to expand that foothold into something better. Didn't always work out that way, but that was the idea. But it is seen as a victory by the West. All right, all right, we get what we really want somewhat that we can get pilgrims can always go to the Holy Land. We have some territory there. So we got more than what we had before, right? Prior to this yep. crusade. So therefore, it's a victory. Yay. King Richard Lionheart. Awesome. And that last area that he lets him keep. So the city of Acre actually winds up being the last Christian stronghold when this is all said and done. This initial truce is supposed to only last for three years uh, when it's agreed upon in 1192. But um, Saladin, again, totally respects King Richard because King Richard does beat him in these other little smaller battles. And he's a military mind. They're very similar yeah. as far as what they like, how they think and for their people. So again, he, he sees some kinship there. Yeah. Yep. They respect each other at the very least. I read that somewhere that once Richard fell ill, Saladin winds up sending him uh, his own personal physician to make him feel better. I did see and, that, yeah. And he sends him like peaches and a refreshing gift of snow. I need to look into that one more. I'm like refreshing gift of snow. Well, because that's probably like a slushy back then, you know? <laughs> yeah. Hey, you, you don't feel deal. good? Oh, here's a slushy. Well, they used to give um, people soda to feel good, right? That is true. That is true. Cocaine in it, but still. Hey, you know, things change. The third one is known because of who's in it. Christians do not recapture Jerusalem. It no longer belongs to Christians, belongs to the Muslims. They are allowed to go and have their pilgrimage there. So why is there a need for the fourth one? And what the fourth one is when things kind of start getting messy, fall apart. King Richard is 1191, 1192 is when they make their peace treaty. Uh, the next one that really starts up here is in 1198. You have a power struggle between Europe, Byzantine Empire. Byzantine and Ro yeah, Holy Roman Empire, they're not getting along. And the Fourth Crusade is going to take place, what, in 1202, right? 1202 to 1204, yep. Yeah. So what's happening here is you have the Byzantine Emperor himself, Alexius III, is more or less being overthrown by his nephew, Alexis IV, in like mid-1203, 1202, 1203. And this new guy that's trying to take over basically promises that if the Crusaders, or rather the Roman Christians from Western Europe, travel to Constantinople, which is the capital of the Byzantine Empire, and help him overthrow Alexis III then he will be more friendly to perhaps, you know, merge, right, the, the Western Christians or, or the Roman Christians with the Orthodox Christians. Yeah, so, there's a lot of that going on with this time. A lot of time they make deals back and forth. Even in the um, Crusades that happen after this, a lot of these deals that happen, you can have the city as long as you allow pilgrims in. You can have the city back as long, you know, because the city around the city, I know we said was worth a lot, but the city itself later on becomes kind of like, not as a um, big of a marketplace, right? Yep. Itself. It becomes more of a bargaining chip or anything else. It's not really has religious significance, but economically, it's not a powerful powerhouse anymore. Yep. So you, what winds up happening is you have this kind of coup and they do wind up toppling Alexis III in favor of the nephew Alexis IV. 
uh, in mid 1203. And at that point, uh, Alexis IV is trying to get to get the Byzantine Church to kind of submit to Roman power. You know, like, like he promised, he's trying to be like, "Hey, we should listen to the Pope, all that stuff." And there's a lot of resistance coming from within. So he's actually strangled right at his palace in another coup in early 1204. When he's strangled, the Crusaders declare war on Constantinople. This one has a lot to do with merchants and Venice. Did you see that one? Yeah, yeah they never really made it, even came close to Jerusalem at all, really. So, no, they look, they look at Constantinople more. That's all this <laughs> like, was, yeah. yeah. So, you have. It should even be called a crusade, really. Right. That's, that's really not the way they were doing. These knights, instead, they became entangled in this Byzantine and actually Italian politics. So, you had these merchants of Venice, and they, they come to play here because after these first three crusades, they come to the realization that it takes so long and it's so costly to get them to march these armies to the Middle East. They're like, forget it. Next time, we're just going to take ships. So, to get their ships built, they go to the merchants of Venice. A lot of money is spent here by personal money, even by these crusaders, by these knights and various lords. So the merchants of Venice promised to basically furnish the crusaders with ships, right? We'll give you ships, we'll give you money for your journey to the Holy Land. Um, and they build those ships, except initially when you were supposed to have like 40,000 of these crusaders were supposed to show up to pay for these ships. By the time people got to Italy, there was only like 12,000, 13,000 of them left. So all of a sudden, they can't afford to pay for these ships that were built right by these Venice merchants. So the Venice merchants are like, all right, um, in exchange right, for these ships and getting you guys to the Holy Land um, to try to topple and the you know, Byzantine emperor, you're going to have to do us a favor. And basically, you're going to have to go and attack one of uh, the Venice trading rivals. Uh, it's the island of Zara, right, in the Adriatic Sea, recently controlled and taken over by Hungary. So the Pope protest this diversion because he's like, wait a second, you, you can't go and attack the island of Zara because that's actually a Christian region. Like you're, you know, you can't have Christians on a holy yeah, war. Yeah, you're attacking ourselves, yeah. Attacking other Christians. However, they ignore him. Crusaders do wind up going to Zara. They take the port city. And then from there, they continue sailing to the Holy Land. But the Pope strikes back and basically, basically excommunicates them. It's like, you guys, you're no longer Crusaders. Like, you don't count. You're not doing this. This is not holy war. You just killed other Christians. Like, this is not okay. These guys do wind up getting to Byzantine uh, Empire, and they wind up going to Constantinople. And the city itself, when they get there, is split between these rival leaders, right? They cannot really cannot really defend itself because you kind of have a coup going on here. The one leader that's more pro these crusaders that are coming and he thinks they're going to keep him in power and the old leader and his followers that are now trying to take the control back. So when the Crusaders enter the city, they're able to do so fairly easily, but they go into savage spree of like looting. Literally at one point, I think, isn't there like a ship that sank with a priceless cargo that was never recovered with how much stuff they took from there? Yeah, there's always there's supposed to be a whole bunch of plunder. Like on the bottom of the ocean, over the bottom of the sea over there, just with gold and yep. They relics. also stole libraries, priceless ancient manuscripts. Yeah, they like you said, a lot of them saw it as a way to make money. So if they're there, they're going to do it because they know they're not going to be there long. Because yep. once the other side's you know mobilized, they're going to be kicked out. Because it's hard to keep it. And it's interesting, too, for that perspective, because the European crusaders do control Constantinople for about 50 years, but then the Greeks wind up driving them out in 1261, and they restored the Byzantine Empire. And from that point forward, the breach between the Eastern Orthodox Church and the Roman Catholic Church is basically widened into like a permanent split from yeah, this point split, forward. Yeah. yeah, that's come some of the consequences of the Crusades, basically, right? So that's 
That's the fourth. Crusade, that ends the right? fourth one. Yeah, they sacked the city of Constanto, and then yeah. let's just quickly mash the other ones together because we could call these the last crusades because there is well, a fifth again, crusade. Yeah, there's a fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and then there's a bunch of these like other crusades too that we I guess we can briefly uh, discuss. But all these other crusades are really just ones that attempt to take over the cities. And some they none of them really work, but they go from other ways. Like the Fifth Crusade is um, they decide they're gonna they're gonna try to recapture the Holy Land, or they're gonna do that by attacking Egypt first. Yeah, right. And so that's what they do. So they attack that. Doesn't really work out. Sixth Sixth Crusade is where again there's some negotiations um, to achieve what warfare had not. Right. And that's with Frederick II, another famous one. Right. He's basically saying, "You let us have the city, we'll still let Mug- Muslims pilgrimage there." And they pretty much, and Al Kamil, the um, Sultan of Egypt at the time and controller of that area, pretty much agrees to it because he just sees Jerusalem as like a bargaining chip to avoid. He's, uh, he's Saladin's nephew, by the way. Yeah, yeah, he just oh yeah, yeah, they're all related somehow. Yeah. But he just basically doesn't want to. He wants to destroy. He has his own problems to worry about. He's also want to fight Frederick's army. So he's like, yeah, that's fine. And the same thing happens pretty much in the Seventh Crusade, right? The Seventh and Eighth Crusade. They just this uh, Louis the Ninth. That's run by yep. him, right? Yep. Yep. And he wants to be a saint, doesn't? Don't they make him into a saint because he got so much respect from like fighting in the Crusades? I'm pretty sure that Louis the Ninth eventually is declared. Well, because a saint. he 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 was captured, yeah, and then ransomed, yeah, and then he winds up. Um, that's why see, that's what ends the Seventh Crusade. He gets captured, then he gets ransomed out, and then he goes back and has another try at it for the uh, Eighth Crusade. Do you have the Children's Crusade in 1212? Yeah, well, the Children's Crusade is a lot of like. That's one of these. It's an interesting one. I remember like reading about it. I remember also teaching about parts of it at times. But it's one that's also it's fact. It happened, but how much of it happened is also kind of like. Well, what I read is kind of how many of them were actually children. That's the one thing that's being argued. Yeah. Yes. Well, it's also what you classify as children. A lot of them were probably teenagers, like younger, like so they weren't all like five year olds. But the idea was there was basically these French boys, a French boy and a German boy. And they supposedly got a vision from Jesus. And yep. then this they were 12 was years taken old, in, by the way, right? 12 years old. This was taken yep. in as a idea that, all right, let's stop trying to take them. They weren't going to go with arms and try to take over Jerusalem. Yep. They were going to go and take it over peacefully, convert the Muslims to Christianity, have these band of children. They're going to march to Italy. Uh, and they're going to basically go to this area. Go from they're going to go to Holy Land, right? Yeah, go to the Holy Land. And the idea was they would get to the Red Sea. It would like part like Moses and they would just walk there. And get the Holy Land. Well, they get there. They get to the where they want to cross, and the sea's not parting. Sorry. Yeah. So then, what basically happens is there um, a bunch of these followers, a bunch of these people come around. These merchants come and say, "We will give you passage on boats over there." And the children, yeah. well, all these about thirty thousand people, children and young teenagers, yeah. were willing to do that, and they were never even taken there. They were taken to Tunisia. And sold into slavery by the merchants, or they just died. There's a couple of the ships actually just sunk off of uh, Sardinia, and then that was it. And that's really what the Children's Crusade is. By the way, this happened in 1212, and it was, um, it didn't have the official approval of the church. No, these were these these other crusades. There were so many of these other crusades that happened later on. They weren't official crusades, they weren't given that legal, that papel blessing that you had of the, the first eight, I guess, right? The last Christian stronghold in Holy Land, as mentioned before, is Acre, and that fell to the Muslims in 1291, which basically ends the Crusades, because by that time, many Europeans were basically cynical 
about the Crusades, right? You have several popes that tried to use them kind of like just to gain religious or political power and, you know, against enemies in Europe. Like at one point, I think the Pope Innocent III winds up declaring a crusade against Frederick II, who threatened to control Italy. So now these these popes are getting out of hand with like claiming these crusades, and it it kind of loses its spark by 1291. Primary objective of conquering Holy Land never comes to fruition in the 200 years that they tried. Um, however, like many other great movements, right, the, the Crusades do produce certain unexpected results. So one thing is the prestige of popes. Yeah, so there's a lot of consequence. You know, well, the Pope basically becomes the de facto leader of the Christian church now. Yep. Right? Especially with the first one. Like, after the first oh, one, yeah. he's the leader. Then in 200 years, you start towards the end. You almost have, like, a failure of the later crusade actually lessen the respect for the Pope. Uh, you also have a decline in power of nobles, feudal nobility, right? Thousands of well, knights. Of they, well, they spend so much money exactly. on these things, too, so that, that hurts them. That's going to weaken them. Without a doubt. So, and people started traveling more because of this. And people also um, read more, they said, because they would read songs about the Crusades. So they, they kind of worldview got ex- got bright a little bit. So that's one of like the good things that came out of the Crusades. And then there's a lot of beliefs that the Crusades were stretched. The idea of a crusade was stretched even further to provide that like religious justification for the mm-hmm. conquest of the New World in the 15th and 16th century that Columbus himself was actually a crusader. There's a lot of books yeah. and arguments about that that I saw. So, um, yeah, so it has a lot of a huge lasting impact on the East and Western worlds. Nuts. What you know? One thing you said too, with how much money these knights lost, a lot of them mortgaged their properties to finance these expeditions. Yeah, it's like thought. I will paint a cross on my shield and go fight for glory, but like I don't have money, so I will mortgage my lands, um, which is which is kind of crazy. But Byzantine Empire also never really recovers from its former power, right? No, All they the, become, they pretty much cease to be after this, right? Yeah, this is the beginning yeah. of the end, and you also have an increase in uh, religious intolerance. Because you have two centuries here of religious warfare that more or less promote, not more or less, and more than not, promotes hostility between Christians and Muslims. So yeah. it also, as mentioned before, increases some tension between Christians and Jews. And then increase in trade uh, is, I guess, a positive thing. Crusades played a major role in stimulating trade between Europe and the Middle East. Also, people that were, because yeah, of all yeah. these crusades, like you said, people started reading books and whatnot. But they also started liking new spices, new foods, new clothes, you know, that were purchased in Arab markets. So all of a sudden you have this like spread of of Middle Eastern culture that's also coming to Europe as well. There's a there's like a demand for luxury goods. So the Crusades overall um, brought together forces of Europe. They grew out of religion, uh, feudalism, chivalry. But by 1300s, they kind of just fizzled out. Although it's not like they fizzle out after five years. We're talking 200 years. I mean, I would assume it would fizzle out after 200 years. Well, yeah. I mean, it's not going to – yeah. It just fizzles out. And it becomes kind of like Western lore too now, like the Crusades and talking about the Crusades. It's always like – think how many like high school teams around the country are called the Crusaders. Really? You know? Oh, there's a whole bunch. Oh, yeah. Or the knights and stuff like that. Like, it's all basically based on that. There's always Halloween costumes on it. There's um, those vid- there's video games and stuff like that based on the Crusades. Going to, you know, to more modern times of this hostility between Christians and Muslims, among the followers of Islam, right? They considered Crusaders crusaders as immoral, bloody, savage. You know, I mean, they're trying to come and conquer yeah. their lands. Well, so- a lot of more extremists will call like any Westerners, the Western armies today, like the Americans, well, they're Crusaders. You know, coming in, so they still use that reference point. You know. Yep. Do you have any fun facts about crusades? 
Um, well, I talk uh, some interesting ones, obviously, like well, the, yeah, ones we facts, but... the ones we talked about before. But like, yeah. just like uh, early on, too, like no one really realized the full purpose of the Crusades. I saw that they were talking about that a lot, too. A lot of people just thought it was another raid until they like realized like, what what was the mm, main yeah, like maybe not so point much. the point of it well anyway guys i mean if if anyone's interested about the crusades there's obviously a lot of stuff out there i mean i started looking this up and it was like hey here's an article on the first crusade and i was like wait there's eight or nine of these i'm like this is gonna be a long time well there's even more if you count all like <laughs> the non-unsanctioned crusades yeah. there's endless amounts but as you kind of gathered from this one really the first four get something done and really, out of those four, the first one is the only one that accomplishes what it meant to do. The main, the main goal, yeah. other than, yeah. That's pretty much that. So, uh, as always, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in and listening to our podcast. We greatly appreciate it. If you need to find us, you can find us at www.historyteacherstalkingpodcast.com. We're there to answer any of your questions. If you guys would like to subscribe, make sure you click that subscribe button. Uh, or like button or whatever else appears and you can follow us on facebook twitter and instagram so thank you so much and we'll see you guys next week stay safe everybody I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. History is the greatest adventure story, but does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts.